Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And if you're a fan of Canadian History X, make sure you check out my other shows, From John to Justin and Canada, A Yearly Journey. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. It helps keep this show going. All right, on with the show. A listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Over 300 years ago, a woman defied the odds to survive a perilous journey through the wilderness as she brought peace to two warring nations. Her determination and persistence were unparalleled when she helped expand the territory of the Hudson's Bay Company at a critical point in its history. Despite her bravery, her intelligence, and her skills as a peacemaker, most people don't know her name. In fact, if not for the writings of a Hudson's Bay Company chief factor and for some indigenous oral histories, we may have never learned her story, which is why today I'm sharing and delving into the life of the woman who was called the Ambassador of Peace. I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X. The 1600s and 1700s were in flux and upheaval as Europeans took a stronger hold in North America. Indigenous nations were wiped out by disease and new tools and guns changed the dynamic as wars raged over fur as Europeans moved into the Hudson Bay. The Hudson's Bay Company was established in 1670 by royal charter when it was given all the land that drains into the body of water by the same name. Previously called Rupert's Land, the area spanned 3.8 million square kilometers, more than a third of modern Canada. If it was its own country, it would be the seventh largest in the world, the size of somewhere between Australia and India. Within this vast land were many indigenous nations, including the Chippewan and the Cree, and nearly all of whom had no idea they were suddenly part of Rupert's Land. The Chippewan were part of the Dene people, whose territories stretched east to west from Alaska all the way into present-day north-central Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Alberta. The Chippewan's territory itself stretched from Lake Athabasca, which straddles northern Alberta and Saskatchewan, across Saskatchewan to Manitoba. Chippewan were also known as the Athabascan in some areas. And it's important to note they should not be confused with the Inuit, who lived closer to the Arctic Circle. As for the Cree, they occupied nearly the entire region of the south shore of Hudson Bay around James Bay. The territories of the Chippewan and the Cree were separated by the Churchill River, which runs for over 1,600 kilometers from Alberta to Hudson Bay. The Cree called it Missinippi, which means big waters, while the Chippewan called it Denede, meaning great river. For the Hudson Bay Company, it was a border they wanted to cross for the fur trade. Forts were built along the coast of Hudson Bay and the company needed indigenous trading partners to bring in furs that could be sold in Europe. 
the indigenous people also served as guides, hunters, interpreters, and teachers. Those nations that traded with the Europeans also suddenly found themselves more powerful due to their access to guns. The Cree often traded with the Hudson's Bay Company, who provided them with guns and ammunition in exchange for those furs. In contrast, the Chippewan had little contact with Europeans. In fact, the Hudson's Bay Company didn't even know of the existence of the Chippewans until the late 1600s, and that was through the Cree. The trade with the Hudson's Bay Company allowed the Cree to gain the upper hand in conflicts, and that meant traditional territory lines began to change. They pushed west into Blackfoot territory in south-central Saskatchewan and Alberta, and expanded north towards Chippewan land. The Cree and the Chippewan had been at war off and on for centuries, but the dynamic quickly changed as the Cree had that upper hand thanks to guns. One branch of the Chippewan became known as the Slavey because so many had been captured. Great Slave Lake, the deepest lake in North America, gets its name from these enslaved people. And this is the background in which Thanadel Thur was born, sometime around 1697. Her birthplace is unknown, but it's believed to be located somewhere in either the Lake Athabasca Great Slave Lake region in northern Alberta and southern Northwestern Territories, or in northern Manitoba. Thanaldothur means Martin Shake. The Martin is a weasel-like mammal with large paws and a bushy tail. They're also very clever, cunning, and resilient, something that described Thanaldothur throughout her entire life. Growing up, Thanaldothur saw her people constantly at war with the Cree, who were growing more powerful with each passing year. She was also relatively unaffected until 1713, when her life changed forever when she was out hunting caribou. That's when a Cree war party attacked and several Chippewan were taken captive, including Thanaldel Thur. This began a difficult time in her life, and it was years before she saw another Chippewan person again. Captured by the Cree, Thanaldel Thur used this time to learn more about how they had become so powerful. She observed guns and other useful items like utensils, knives, and pots being given to the Cree by fur traders, making their lives easier. Upon being captured, she quickly picked up the Cree language and quickly understood how the Cree gained the upper hand, and she overheard talk of York Factory and its importance to their trading. According to the clerks who wrote her story, Fennel Thur was amazed to find out that the Cree had not made their guns and tools, but procured them. It shattered the belief that the Cree had manufactured them and offered comfort knowing that her people could have the same tools and weapons. She said, I want nothing more for my people than peace. I want them to have the things that make your lives easier, that make you better hunters and make things better for your women. I want this for the Dene. Thanaldothur remained a captive until the following autumn when she saw an opportunity and alongside another woman escaped and made her way through the wilderness back home. This was not a short trip and it was one that I know I could not have survived. During her captivity, she was moved farther inland and farther from the Chippewan territory. By the time she escaped, she was far from her home. And it can't be said for certain, but some sources state she was now near Lake Winnipeg, about 500 to 700 kilometers from her home. It was going to be a long journey back. For an entire year, the two escapees traveled from Cree to Chippewan territory. Now keep in mind, this was not a journey through meadows and along mountain streams. It was the dead of winter at the start, in the sub-Arctic region. 
They walked through frozen landscapes, enduring extreme cold temperatures. And when spring arrived, they walked through swamps, bogs, and marshes, and fought off swarms of black flies and mosquitoes. All the while, they endured prolonged bouts of hunger. They trapped what they could, but there was little to eat for days on end. Sadly, Thanaldothur's companion, who was not named in any of my research, did not survive. Only days after her companion died, Thanaldothur followed tracks to a creekside tent of European geese hunters who worked for the Hudson's Bay Company. They were likely shocked to see her emerge from the bush, but they understood her request. She wanted to go to York Factory, one of the first fur trading posts established by the Hudson's Bay Company. On November 24, 1714, she arrived at York Factory, where she surprised many with her ability to speak English. It's not known where she learned that, but it's likely she may have often interacted with British fur traders earlier in her life and picked up some of the language because of her natural ability. And it wouldn't be Thanel Delthur's final surprise. It just marked the first step on her unusual path as a peacemaker. Captured by the French during King William's War in 1694, York Factory had only recently been returned to the English. This time under French rule severely impacted fur trade operations of the Hudson's Bay Company, and now that it was back in English hands, James Knight, the company governor, wanted to expand the company's business north of the Churchill River by trading with the Chippewa. For the first step in accomplishing this feat, Knight required an end to the war between the Cree and the Chippewa. As he was looking for a way to do this, Thanel Delthur arrived. And while furs were his primary focus, after talking with Thanel Delthur, he learned of precious metals in Dene land. She told him of vast tidal waters that barely froze in the winter, which could possibly be Great Slave Lake, as well as copper and a yellow metal she had never seen before. Knight believed she was talking about gold. She also spoke of a tar-like substance found in the interior of the continent that bubbled up from the ground. Now, it's hard to say for certain, but she may have been speaking of the oil sands in what is now northern Alberta, a region she was possibly born into. Thanel was highly intelligent, a skilled guide and interpreter, and Knight was impressed by her, and he asked if the Chippewan would be open to trading for furs in exchange for guns. Knowing this would help her people, Thanel agreed. On June 27, 1715, James Knight sent William Stewart, an employee of the Hudson's Bay Company, 150 Cree and Thanel Delthur on a mission. They were to meet with the Chippewan, and Stewart was responsible for the few descriptions of Thanel Delthur's appearance during this time. He stated she had a flat face with a broad, handsome nose and wide lips, but he felt that her most striking feature were her eyes, which were full of determination. The journey took months through some difficult terrain that Thanel Delthur endured to get to York Factory in the first place. And before long, she became the leader and pushed the group to their destination. Stuart wrote that many of the Cree were simply in awe of her. As they journeyed, the seasons changed and autumn turned to winter. With conditions worsening, it was decided to split the large group into smaller parties to make better time and hopefully reach the Chippewan at different points in their territory. This was a good idea on paper, but Without Thanel Delthur's leadership, the smaller Cree groups turned back and went home. Her party even attempted to go back, but she persuaded Stuart and a dozen Cree to continue on, which they did. 
Shivering from the freezing cold and with rumbling stomachs, they walked through forests and across frozen lakes. As they traveled, the party came across a group of nine Chippewa who had been killed by the Cree. Those traveling with Thanaldel Thur immediately worried that if they met the Chippewa, they would be blamed and be killed in revenge. They refused to move. Thanaldel Thur knew that without them, the peace mission would fail. She needed them to meet the Chippewa to end the bloodshed. But instead of pushing onwards with them, she convinced them to remain where they were with Stuart. She would go on ahead of them to find the Chippewa, explain to them the mission, and bring them back. She asked the Cree to wait ten days, and they agreed as they watched Thanaldel Thur venture forward alone. She followed tracks and soon came across the group of the Chippewa who had survived the attack. This was the first time in three years since Thanaldel Thur had seen her people. She could have simply joined the group and left the Cree and Stuart behind, but she didn't. She saw the benefits of peace for her people. She needed to convince the Chippewa to join her, meet her party, and journey back with her to York Factory. For days on end, she spoke to the Chippewa to show the benefits of peace with the Cree and trade with the Hudson's Bay Company. She gave speech after speech until her voice was hoarse. Oral histories state that she said, quote, Do you want to live like hunted rabbits? Do you want the constant threat of war? Her dogged determination convinced the Chippewa to go with her. The Cree were likely surprised when Thanaldel Thur arrived back at the camp on the 10th day, accompanied by over 100 Chippewa. Some sources state that the Cree and Stuart were in the process of taking down their camp to return to York Factory, just as Thanaldel Thur arrived. And once the two parties came together, Thanaldel Thur negotiated a peace agreement, ending the war between the two nations. The Cree professed their innocence of the massacre of the Chippewa nearby, and the two groups smoked a pipe of peace to end the hostilities. And according to the oral histories, Thanaldel Thur was placed on a raised platform so that, quote, her people could see her, and have confidence when she beheld the people coming, she sang with joy. William Stewart wrote, Indeed, she has a devilish spirit, and I believe that if there were but fifty of her countrymen of the same carriage and resolution, they would drive all the northern Indians in America out of their country. With her mission complete, she returned to York Factory. She left with ten Chippewan, Stuart, and the Cree that stayed with her. The other Chippewans went back into their territory to spread word of the peace between the two nations. A year had passed since Thanaldel Thur and her party had left York Factory, and they arrived back in May 1716. Both Knight and Stuart gave her complete credit for achieving peace. Knight called her Slave Woman Joan, referencing the fact that she had been enslaved by the Cree and naming her after Joan of Arc for her valiant efforts. The Hudson's Bay Company was now able to expand to the north and to assist easy travel for the Chippewan fur trade, he told Thanaldel Thur that a fort would be built closer to their territory. In planning the fort, he asked Thanaldel Thur for advice on the location. In 1717, Hudson's Bay Company established a permanent fort right at the mouth of the Churchill River on the shores of Hudson Bay in present-day Churchill, Manitoba. Meanwhile, Thanaldel Thur taught the Chippewa about which furs to trade and how to trade with the British. When one Chippewa man suggested that less-than-prime pelts should be accepted, Thanaldel Thur grabbed him by the nose, pushed him backwards, and called him a fool. She then told him to abide by what they were directed to bring, and if they brought any poor fur, they were not to be traded with. 
Seeing the success and the expansion of the fur trade that came from her first trip to the north, Knight asked Thanel III to do another to get more of her people to trade with the Hudson's Bay Company. As I've mentioned before, not much is known of Thanel III, including her husband's name, and it's around this time she got married and that didn't stop her from her mission. Unfortunately, Thanel III, before she could depart, became ill and fought a fever valiantly for seven weeks. And as she struggled to remain conscious on her deathbed, she assured her brother that Knight would take care of him. She told Richard Norton, a young English apprentice who was supposed to go along with her on the next expedition, not to be afraid and to still go and meet her people. She died on February 5th, 1717. Knight wrote, She was one of a very high spirit and of the firmest resolution that I have ever seen in anybody in my days and of great courage. As she requested, Knight gave all of her possessions to her mother and brother after she was buried. He also presented gifts to her friends to help them with their sorrow. The loss of Thanel III was immense. Knight now had to find another indigenous translator to take on the mission, and he ended up spending over 60 good beaver skins to replace Thanel III. How much is that worth? Well, time for some math. This took me a surprisingly long time to research. At the time, one beaver pelt was worth about 6.6 .6 shillings. There are 20 shillings in a British pound, so three beaver pelts equaled one pound. 60 beaver pelts would cost about 20 pounds. Now, 20 British pounds in 1717 is worth about 3,523 pounds today, which means about $6,000 Canadian. A rather low cost for massive fur trade territory expansion and brokering peace between nations for decades to come. Despite her efforts, recognition for Thanodel III did not come quickly. If you do a search for her name through the Canadian newspapers of the 19th and 20th century, you will come up pretty empty. It took nearly three centuries after her death for Thanodel III to be honoured by Canada for her role in expanding the trade region of the Hudson's Bay Company and for brokering peace. In 2000, the Government of Canada named her a person of national historic significance. In Churchill, where many residents claim her as the founder, there is a Thanel del Thur trail that honors her. As for the two other major figures in her life, their fates were rather tragic. James Knight, determined to find the Northwest Passage, took two ships, the Albany and Discovery, in 1719 to search for it, and they were never seen again. In 1989, both ships were found near Marble Island in western Hudson Bay. William Stewart became afflicted with a brain disorder in 1717. It was reported by another fur trader, Henry Kelsley, in 1718 that he was suffering so badly from insanity he had to be tied to his bed. He died in 1719. I hope you enjoyed that episode and our look at Thanodel III. Next week, we're looking at the Sherlock Holmes of Saskatchewan. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Canada's History, HBC Heritage, Biography, Government of Alberta, Wikipedia, Library and Archives Canada, Manitoba History, Canadian History Bits, The Legend of Thanel del Thur, Saskatoon Star Phoenix, and The Calgary Herald. This show is researched, produced, and written by me, Craig Baird, with the help of Dila Velasquez. Audio production and design by Rosalind Kufour. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many for you to sink your teeth into. If you enjoy this podcast, then please check out my other podcasts. From John to Justin, Canada, A Yearly Journey, 
Pucks and Cups, and Canada's Great War. We love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those in my show notes. Until next time, I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X.